All right, so uh, we're going to continue in our series on community. Uh, if you guys have been here, so far we talked about, we've only had two sermons so far, but so far we talked about the why of community, why we should embed ourselves into these relationships. And two weeks ago, uh, I was telling, I mean, I was telling the um, core leaders, usually you forget what the sermon is after like 30 minutes on Sundays, right? So here's a little refresher for you guys. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the first why, which is that we are the family of God. That when you were saved, that you weren't saved just as an individual, but that you were actually saved into the family of God. And that God calls you to this radical commitment to this group. Okay? So community is not something that you do in the church. It's actually your identity before it is something that you do. Okay? The, uh, last week we talked about uh, this idea of the relational soul. How not only is our soul uh, designed for and by relationships, but that relational pain, uh, which we've all gone through, whether it's from uh, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, uh, your best friend, church, your parents, how those things have shaped you in ways that don't reflect God's image, nor who you truly are. And how you can't fix that. You can't be healed from that by taking a pill or reading a book or just coming to Sunday service. But you actually have to be committed to a real community of healthy relationships. And so if you want to learn how to trust again, you have to be in a healthy relationship that is trustworthy, right? If you want to learn how to uh, be honest, you have to be in an honest relationship. You can't just read about it. And so those are the whys, right? I think the only way you're going to grow is by being in community. Those who remain in community grow. Those who don't, don't. Uh, And today we're going to actually start uh, talking about the how of community. What are the things that we should see happen in community as we meet together in life group and as a church as a whole, okay? So uh, this morning, I want to just get right into our passage uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever read this book. It's one of the most confusing books in the New Testament, uh, but this part is not. So let me just give you a bit of context. So the church in the book of Hebrews, they were actually going through a very intense situation. Uh, It was a difficult time where they were being persecuted where their material possessions, their homes were being plundered and taken away, and their own family members were ostracizing them all because of their faith. And as a result, this new, the excitement of being part of this new community began to wane, right? Because now there was a cost that had to be paid. And it it seems when you read through this that some were beginning to make it a habit of not meeting together anymore. And The author of Hebrews reminds us today um, that we must not neglect to meet together. That is the main command that the uh, author gives us. Because as it's the idea that we need to keep a rhythm of community at all costs. Because as a Christian, like we've been saying over and over, uh, that the context in which we grow and become who God has called us to be is in the context of community. Always. Okay? So... In this passage, there are several things that the author of Hebrews tells us that we need to see in community that makes it fruitful. So if you're taking notes, uh, the first thing we need to see and do do in community is to consider, okay? He says in verse 24, uh, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, this word consider literally means to direct the mind towards and reflect on. In other words, the author of Hebrews is calling us to put our minds to work as it pertains to someone else, to think through, to wrestle with how you can be a blessing to someone besides yourself, to consider them. 
Okay, I want you to think about it this way. Uh, when you go to a good doctor and you tell them your problems, a good doctor listens and considers your issues, right? Thinking of ways and strategies to help you, right? Energy and spending time and energy focus on how to get you better. And what's important to notice in this word consider is that this is not a passive posture that just simply acknowledges that you have a problem but does nothing about it. But it is deliberate on the part of the doctor to do what they can to make you healthy. And this is exactly what this passage calls us to, to consider your brothers and sisters in Christ in this manner, to listen to their needs, to process, to wrestle with, to think through how you can build each other up in an intentional and deliberate manner. In other words, he's calling you to make space in your mind and your heart for the person to your left and to your right. Is there space in your heart and in your mind? Um, now, I'm sure we can all admit this is very difficult, right? Some of us, we don't think about each other until 11 a.m. on Sundays, right? If we're honest with ourselves. Uh, but why is this so difficult? And, you know, I could have given you about 10 reasons, uh, but I'm going to just give you something that we can, um, I don't know, I think, I think it's relatable to all of us. But I think, let me just give you two reasons. Uh, the first is we're just too busy to deeply consider another person. You see, this idea of considering implies a very slow, deep, thoughtful process of thinking through something, but we're always in a hurry, right? Busy with life. And this is not just a problem when it comes to considering other people, but our spirituality as a whole. You know, um, a few years ago, I, I heard this story about John Ortberg. Do you guys know who John Ortberg is? He's kind of famous, no? Okay. Uh, well, he's a pastor and an author. And he was mentored by the famous Christian philosopher Dallas Willard uh, for 27 years. And he tells this really famous story about how even though he was this very successful pastor, his church is like thousands and thousands of people, bestseller, you know, his books were selling. Um, but he just felt stuck in his discipleship. And so he calls his mentor Willard, and he's like, this is where I am. This is what I'm struggling with. Like, what do I do? And the famous story goes that there was a really long, awkward silence on the other end of the line. And after a long pause, this is what Willard says, if you could put the quote up. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And when I first heard the story, it, it struck me because you never think about hurry as a deterrent to your spiritual life. When have you in your small groups ever said, oh, I'm too much in a hurry, that's why my spiritual life is struggling? It's always a certain sin that we're committing or an addiction or whatnot, right? But if you think about it, any relationship, whether between spouses or friends and even our relationship with God, being in a hurry never fosters a thoughtful type of love and consideration that brings life and intimacy. You can never hurry a strong relationship right? Um, so this, and then, but the second reason, uh, so we're too busy, we're always in a hurry, we're also simply just too distracted. Our minds are always full to capacity. Uh, you know, if you think about it, we, we are in this digital age where we're constantly bombarded by distractions in the form of unreplied emails, text messages, our schedules are filled to the brim with events, school, work, uh, playing sports, whatever it is. And the number one reason for not having space to deeply consider other people is just that we just have no room. We're always thinking about what? Something else. The next event to go to. The next text message I have to reply to. The next email. The next episode that I have to watch. Right? 
Let me just give you an interesting fact. I, I don't know if this is true, but this is what the research says. Let me show you how distracted we are. Research has shown that the average phone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day for two and a half hours a day over 76 sessions, okay? And that's just the average. Young adults, which is all of you here, I, I put myself in young adults too, uh, spend over five hours a day over 85 sessions on your phones. This is a lot of time. You probably spend more time staring into your phone than you do to another person, right? And this is, we're just talking about phone use. There's Netflix, there's computers, there's iPads, there's emails. Most of the time you're staring into a screen more so than staring into another person and having a conversation. And all this to say is that it's not natural for us to consider other people, right? It doesn't just happen. And so there's obviously just deeper reasons why um, we have a hard time doing this. But one, one of the things I want to kind of get across to you is that we need systems and disciplines and patterns in, in our life that set apart time for such considering. And this is one of the reasons why we must not neglect in meeting together. Right? Life groups is a time that's allotted for you to slow down, for you to actually sit down, look at a person, not through a screen, and listen to their problems and their issues and their stories, consider deeply who they are, what they need, and really love on them. You will never love this community well until you learn how to consider them deeply. It will always be a superficial love. And that's why life groups are important. It's not just for your own needs, right? But even if you want to be, you know, I always hear people complain about how people don't love them that well at the church or people are not paying attention, but then they're not present in those places. You're not allowing others to consider even your own issues, right? It's a, it's a two-way street, and so this is why life groups are so important, okay? So that's the first thing that we see. Now, what exactly should we be considering about other people? Uh, the writer of Hebrews calls us to two specific things. Uh, the first of all, he says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, the word stir is actually a really fun one. Uh, other translations write, let us provoke or spur one another into love and good works. But my favorite one is, let us irritate one another to love and good works, right? And when you kind of look at that word grouping, it's really this idea of confrontation. The act of speaking difficult truths and sharp words to the, and because it's good for them, even though it makes them uncomfortable. And I think it's a really fitting word because, you know, who doesn't get a little bit offended or a little irritated when someone points out your sin and your weaknesses, right? I don't know any of us who gets, who looks forward to being corrected, right? But as you guys know, this is an indispensable and necessary part of a genuine and healthy community, right? Because if we fail to speak and especially listen to hard truths about ourselves, we will never grow individually nor as a community. And so the question I want to pose to you is this. Have you given others permission in this community to stir you up, to provoke you, to irritate you by pointing out your sins and your shortcomings? Have you opened yourself up to that type of relationship? Or do you only surround yourself with people who just only understand you or listen to you or everything you do is a good idea? Right? And this is such an important question. It's so crucial for your health because here, listen, listen to this. The sins that are most likely to destroy you are the ones that you are least likely to see. 
The sins that are most likely to stunt your growth are the ones that you don't recognize. And the truth of the matter is when it comes to our own self-awareness and knowing our sins and weaknesses, there are just so many blind spots. And the problem with blind spots are what? That they're blind spots. We can't see, right? And we're not as aware as we think we are. I mean, you guys have seen examples of this, right? You guys have a friend in a group. You know that they're making a wrong decision. But no matter what anyone says, they, keep, they, they, they can't see what's wrong about it. And even though some of you are laughing, okay, <laughs> maybe it's you, uh, but, but we've all been this person as well, right, where you're, you're trying to do something and people around you are telling you it's not a good idea, but you have this way us humans, we have, a good, we have such a good way of justifying ourselves, rationalizing everything, right? Oh, they don't really know my situation. Or they don't really understand what I'm going through. But in the end, only to realize that you were wrong. You see, we need others to speak and point out what we can't see if we are serious about growing. Uh, but many of us, we shy away from this. And the question is, do you love yourself enough? Do you care enough about becoming like Jesus to give people here license to speak difficult truths into your life, no matter how hard it is for you to hear it? Because if you don't, you will remain stagnant. Uh, you know, I've personally experienced this a lot, actually. Um, but uh, especially in my early years of doing ministry, uh, like I said, I've, done, I've been in pastoral ministry for 11 years, and one of the most dangerous people in the world are pastors who just start out and are still in seminary because those people which I was one of them we think we know everything right because we read the latest books you know we know all the trends we're young we know our generation the older pastors they don't know what they're talking about right we we're we're in and there's always that belief that I'm like so much better than I really am but what was fortunate for me was I always had a lot of older mentors uh, who loved me enough to speak difficult truths. And one of them was Pastor Charles, which is uh, the lead pastor from my previous church that I came from. And if you guys don't know, he was actually my youth pastor as well. So I, I've been un- I was under him for over 20 years. And you know, Pastor Charles and I, we get along really well. Um, but throughout the years of doing pastoral ministry together, we've had a lot of difficult conversations where he's had to point out uh, flaws and character issues that I need to fix. And to be honest, in that moment, it's so irritating, right? Like, if I'm honest with myself, sometimes in my mind, I'm like cussing. I'm like, well, he doesn't know anything or whatnot. And, you know, I'm, and my immediate response in my mind is like, you don't even know me, right? You don't know, like, what I'm going through. You don't know what I've seen. And I'm justifying myself. But then God has a way of, like, humbling you because I'll go to my wife, Jessie, you know, who I'm, like, seeking for support and affirmation, and I tell her, and she's like, oh, I think Pastor Charles is right. You should listen, listen, listen to her. I'm like, oh, you don't even know me either. <laughs> you know? But honestly, like, although there's still so much for me in me to grow, if it wasn't for their harsh words that hurt at that moment, I would not have experienced the growth that I, that I did. I would still be walking around thinking I am the best pastor in the world, right? But God has humbled me a lot in these last 11 years. You see, it's only when we enter into these types of relationships that we are sharpened. And have you guys heard of uh, that in Proverbs where iron sharpens iron? We throw that around a lot, but that insinuates there's a lot of cutting and taking away and rubbing against each other, right? But growing is a painful process, and it requires the sharp words 
of a loving brother or sister in Christ. Okay? But not only must we listen, we must also be willing to speak difficult truths. Right? Too many of us, I don't, know, I, I don't know if you guys know the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram 9, which is I'm a peacemaker. We avoid confrontation at all costs. So this is something I'm working on. But a lot of us, we're afraid to stir one another up, right? To say what's unpopular, to disagree with our friend. Because in our culture, disagreement means that we don't love that person, which is not true at all. But we're not loving our people. But is it really loving to leave someone uh, where they're at, blind to the things that's going to maybe end up destroying them? You see, a sharp word might be the most compassionate and loving thing that you can do for someone else. No matter how they react, no matter how much it might hurt them, to hear it at the moment, because we know it's for their ultimate good. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it best. He says this, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. It is our responsibility here as brothers and sisters to say the difficult things to one another. We must be willing to speak. But let me uh, kind of give a disclaimer. This doesn't mean you just go around, you're like, you're wrong, stop doing this, you know, saying whatever you want, right? That is not what I am advocating here. Uh, Obviously, we must do it with a lot of humility. We must do it with after building a relationship of trust so the other person can really speak to you, uh, really receive it. But we must be willing to speak those things, okay? All right, we're almost done here. Uh, just really quickly, the third thing in verse 25, uh, the writer also calls us to encourage one another, okay? Now, this is kind of like the other side of the same coin of stirring, right? It's to walk besides this person, to, to infuse courage into the discouraged person. That's what encourage actually means. And for us as a community, we need both. We need the encouraging and we need the irritation that we give to one another. You see, on the one hand, if some some communities are really good at speaking harsh, harsh truth, right? Every single sin is pointed out. And people are just confronting each other. You need to fix that. You need to fix this. And there's no sense of love or grace. And in that type of community, what happens, it just becomes filled with legalism and guilt and shame, right? It's no longer safe. But then you have the other hand where communities are always, everything is just fine. We're like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, no worry. We're all sinners, no worries, it's fine, right? We brush it under the rug, and we look good on the outside, but it's actually rotting on the inside. Because sin, no matter how much you try to hide it, will leak out and it will begin to destroy the person and the church. So we need all three of the things that we've talked about. We need to consider, we need to spur and irritate each other, and we need to encourage one another in the way we do community. Now, as I end here, um, I was kind of going back and forth whether to end this way, but this is a, I have to, I have to preach the text. So, um, yeah, I want you to listen to this, okay? After studying this, um, you can see why church community is important. Uh, But if you read this passage carefully, especially in the original text, you can see that the writer of Hebrews drives home this point with a very stark warning. You see, it seems, like I said, that some people at the church were not meeting together anymore. 
And it says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And the phrasing of this passage in Greek connotes the same idea as this idea of abandonment, which is important because the idea of abandonment was often used to describe those in Israel who had abandoned the covenant that they had with God. In essence, committed apostasy. They no longer were believers. And many commentators would say that what the author is trying to communicate is that breaking the rhythm of community, listen here, is a prelude to apostasy. Okay? It is a sign that you are headed towards away from God. In other words, to not consistently engage in the life of the church, especially in committed relationship, will almost certainly lead to a falling away from God. And here's the warning. For many of you who, are, who find yourself distancing yourself from the church community, it won't be long before you realize that all the while you are distancing yourself from God himself. In the 11 years that I've done ministry, I don't know one single person who told me, I'm just going to take a break from church, or I'm going to take a break from small groups, and then they started flourishing in their spiritual life. Not one time ever have I seen that before. When someone says they're going to not do, they're not going to come out to Sundays for a little bit, it's, that's when I get really afraid. Because I've seen over and over, that is just a stepping stone to falling away from God himself. But, and so that's what I've seen all the time. And this only makes sense, right? Because the enemy, his number one desire is to get you isolated. Get you alone. Because that's when you're easy prey. We must do the hard work of community. I know community is hard. I know you guys have schedules. I know you have rhythms and all these things. But I want to invite you. And this isn't like, so I don't, I don't know, because maybe we were kind of having a conversation yesterday about something. But like, I'm not trying to like guilt trip you into this, right? I hope you see that this is for your benefit. This is an invitation for you to experience the life that God has for you, right? And there's no guilt shaming here. Like if you can't come for good reasons, that's fine. <laughs> good reasons. <laughs> but, but I hope that we make it every effort to come out, you know? And, you know, I can't wait. Um, to eat with you guys, to share with you guys. We're going to do life groups a little bit differently than the way you guys have done before. But it's something that we're kind of fine-tuning and we're going to try things out and whatnot. Uh, but I can't wait to get into your life uh, really here and pray for one another. I think it's going to be an amazing thing that we'll be able to do here uh, at this church. And so um, all that to say, come to the table, get some desserts, and sign up. And uh, I'm excited for what God is going to do as we start this new season together. Okay, let's pray.